0: All right, my gambling gurus, my wagering wizards, my betting buddies. It is time. The Ringer NFL Friday show. It's Joe House and Warren Sharp. This week's show is a doozy. The dogs are barking. It's the rise of the underdogs. Unders have been making a move. And we look at the marquee game, Tennessee and Pittsburgh, as well as a couple little plays out there on a teaser and maybe something against the jets coming right up stick around we've got a great one coming for you hey podcast pals today's episode of the ringer nfl show on the ringer podcast network is brought to you by state farm getting great car and home insurance from state farm at a surprisingly great rate why that is like drafting a player that becomes an all pro the real deal state farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a competent gm putting together their very own competent roster you need a team that supports you and state Farm's got a great one in addition to Agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage pay bills file claims and more with a great price and even greater service state farm goes from strength to strength choose insurance that always brings its a-game podcast pals when you want the real deal like a good neighbor state farm is there
2: And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I am Warren Sharp, joined as I always am on Fridays by the one and only Joe House. And my God, Joe, what the hell did we just watch? That was one of the craziest Thursday night games we have seen. Uh, I think in a meme, it was the fumble. It was the trip and, and fall by Daniel Jones trying to make it down to the end zone. I mean, that just was maybe the highlight of the season so far.
0: I really hope that doesn't become... Uh, the emblem of of, of his in- entire career, it certainly feels like it is going to be the uh, signature play of the Giants' season, the way that they're headed. But Warren Sharp, uh, and we're going to talk about overs and unders, I want to begin with this. Imagine betting on the over in this game. The total was 45 when I looked at it. Imagine having the over in this game and watching these two teams have five dozen opportunities to score and end up at 43 total points. I mean, look, we we were, we were
1: texting back and forth with Bill uh, during the game. And I know that he was on the Eagles here just to win outright, which so he won that. But it was absolutely absurd. Of course, there was like the Evan Ingram drop on that deep pass that might have helped to seal the game. But the opportunities for the Eagles in this game were absurd. Have you ever seen a game where a team has eight fucking trips into the red zone? They had eight <laughs> trips into the damn red zone. I mean, the Giants had two trips into the red zone. They scored both times. The Eagles have eight fucking trips into the red zone. They score on only three, the very first one of the game and the very last one of the game. If you remember the first one of the game, they get the opening kickoff. They go the length of the field in this well-executed Carson Wentz goes four for four. Uh, They have three players rush the ball, three players catch the ball. They score a first, uh, they score an opening drive touchdown. In between, they go one of what is it, one of six inside the red zone. And I couldn't understand the end zone fade after end zone fade after end zone fade. It is literally one of the most lowest percentage play calls down inside of the red zone. And, and that was beyond frustrating to watch a team continue to rely upon that and, and just come up with with nothing. And of course, they missed the field goal too at the end of the half, uh, the shank of the really short field goal. It, it was... It was absurd. This is one of those games, though, where you're talking about like a faulty final score. Um, That that was this one. Each team had 13 drives. And uh, for a little while, the Eagles just kept punting the ball. But my God, how do you get eight trips to the red zone?
0: Well, we have two things now that we're going to cover. The over-under on when you were going to drop your first F-bomb of this broadcast was three and a half minutes. You came in just under. And then you dropped another F bomb. Unders are thereafter. back, baby. Unders Und- are back. But here's my question for you, Sharpie. Here, here's the thing that I think it's time to go ahead. And I know the Eagles fans are all over this. Doug Peterson, right? Doug Peterson loses Frank Reich. And he essentially says at the beginning of the season, I make most of the play calls on the offensive end myself. He has a run coordinator. And then he has a special offensive assistant or some other kind of uh, nonsensical title like that um, helping him. But the play calling ultimately on the offensive side of the ball resides with Doug Peterson, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, he's he's the head coach slash play
1: caller. So it absolutely the buck stops there.
0: And that's got to be extraordinarily maddening if you are an Eagles fan, because there is now extraordinary evidence that he's not good at it. He, he is, he's, he's got some combination of a lack of awareness of the situation and you hit on it right away. The fades in the end zone who is in his ear telling him, let's try that again. We see something there, right? They have the analysis and the game plan coming in. Where they think that there must be, they must think there's some advantage to be gained, and they continue to run this low percentage play to no avail whatsoever, and just leave points on the board, and which means leaving the game open for a for a, a, a team like the Giants to go out and, and and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Well, the other thing too,
1: in addition to that, is is the Jalen Hurts stuff, and I don't know how they how much they're using and practice time to dedicate to Jalen Hurts type packages. So I can't comment that it's entirely wrong to do to utilize him because maybe they're practicing it a ton and some of the stuff just isn't working in the game. But this isn't like Taysom Hill where Taysom Hill has been with the Saints for a few years and then you bring him out and the stuff's not working, but he's at least had time. Jalen Hurts is a rookie, he was just drafted. The it was a totally abnormal off season and you know, when I see a two-point play, which could have allowed the Eagles to breathe a sigh of relief, you're down 21-18. Clearly, they got the ball back. They were in field goal range for a while. They didn't need to score that final touchdown, right? So what they would have been able to pl- call plays. A, I, I still think with the same aggressiveness, but at least have known fallback, we can at least tie this game here. Um, but they used Jalen Hurts on this two-point play. And I just want that ball in Carson Wentz's hand. Carson can run. We have seen Carson be able to run the football. If, if the play needs to have Carson run, he can. But Carson is so much more adept at reading defenses. Say what you want about him and some of the mistakes he makes at inopportune moments. That is all true but if i have a two-point play and i need to score it i want carson throwing the football there and if it's a if it's a purely designed run and there's no throwing option you know i'm probably still at this point in his career probably still want carson wentz to be the guy running that football sure
0: he already had a rushing touchdown in this game it was i think statistically his best game across the board of the of the entire season he threw for almost 360 yards the only thing you would want to do is maybe hold him back because you don't want him to get hit. But in that
1: situation, it's like a two-point play at the end of the game, got to have it type play. Uh, clearly, you didn't have to have it because you could have won without it, but it was would have been a really nice thing to have. Uh, that
0: would be the t- situation where you could run Carson, I think. Yeah, so let me ask you this. Was, was tonight a uh, best-case scenario because the game was competitive notwithstanding... Uh, the the great ineptitude on both sides of the ball, and and we started a nice low point, and we go upward from here. Or do we do we look at the glass half, half full and say, look, we had a very very competitive game. It came all the way down to the very end. It required the Eagles defense, who in, in moments looked pretty good. I mean, they did put good pressure on Daniel Jones um, as required occasionally. Uh, do we say glass half full? It was very competitive. We enjoyed it. Uh, Gave us something. We're never going to forget Daniel Jones falling down. I mean, you know, it's NFL football at its best. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling like
1: it was a very important game for the NFC. I I think that this was a game clearly uh, that changed. I don't want to say changed the... future balance of power, but change the present balance of power in the NFC East. I mean, right now, the Eagles are number one in the NFC East, thanks to this win. It's crazy as it sounds. They've won two games. They're 2-4-1 and one on the season, but they're in first place in the NFC East at this present moment in time. Next week, They have, what, 10 days before they play again, and they play the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if it's here in in, in Philly, if it's there in Dallas, but in either case, if the Eagles are able to win that game, then they have a bye. So for the Eagles, this was a big win. For the Giants, look, this was a, a, a game that they probably could have won if they made a play or two here or there, thanks to the ineptitude on the Eagles side of things. But if this game is played out 10 times, I definitely think the the Eagles are winning this game more than half of those times, right? Like they clearly dominated most elements of this game. I didn't quite understand. I mean, we got on display tonight, a little showcase of Jason Garrett and his play calling. I tweeted out at one point, Um, On first downs, I don't know if it was through the entirety of the first half, but it very well might have been. On first downs, the Giants were averaging 12.9 yards per pass attempt when they threw the ball, only 1.5 yards per carry when they ran the ball. Every single time that they called a run play on first down, they ended up punting it after failing on a third down. They got forced into third down because of terrible gains on first, and then they ended up punting it. So, I mean, their play calling, that doesn't shock anybody who's familiar with Jason Garrett. Uh, Eventually, they ended up passing the ball a little bit more. Of course, Daniel Jones, massive run. That was on a first down. But in terms of the way we're setting up this week, I thought we at least got a competitive game, which is one of the main things you want to see on a Thursday night. How many of these... Uh, more recent games have we seen where it's just been a blowout, and you end up seeing backup Q- 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 QBs in the second half. Like nobody wants to see that. So a competitive game that came down to the end. It had some really incredible, great plays, and some really terrible, bad plays, and then some really hilarious plays. I think it's the perfect start to this this week seven, and uh, and the perfect way to kind of, I, I don't know, close the door on this on this uh, NFC East battle and. We don't know what we're going to get the rest of this weekend. I know the Cowboys still have a game to play and uh and the and Washington does those TTs play each other. I don't know what you're going to make of that one, but definitely a fun Thursday night. I agree night with game you. House. I don't want
0: to prolong this, but I do want to just offer this concluding thought, which is come uh Tuesday morning, I'm going to be looking hard at the NFC East division uh title Odds because I have, uh, at, at the beginning of the season, a play on Dallas to win the NFC East. I now think that Philadelphia is the most talented team in the NFC East. I've seen enough. If they can get healthy over these next two weeks, they, they have a lot of, of weapons and they have so many guys, uh, still, still to come back. They have a lot of different ways to score i am I S I'm, I've been kind of impressed by their defense, even though it's kind of patchwork. I really am gonna gonna um, take a look Tuesday morning at the Eagles' odds to win the NFC East. Well, look, the main thing that the Eagles
1: have is Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz won the NFC East last year basically by himself, right? I mean that 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 team had no wide receivers at that point in time last season, and they were able to win. I think his season last year, um, if I'm not mistaken, the first QB to pass for four thousand yards without a single receiver wide receiver going above 500 uh, in NFL history so he's he has shown the the highs and lows of him are going to be like this forever i never think he's going to shake the plays. We're just like, what is he doing? And then the great like dimes that he drops at certain points in time. um, That's that's like part of the fun, I guess, of watching a Carson Wentz game is you don't know really what you're going to get. Uh, But in terms of this division right now, certainly you're looking at these other two teams and they don't really have their quarterback or the other three teams. They don't really have the quarterback situation figured out. Daniel Jones is there, of course, but the Giants team lacks overall talent and 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 Dallas is all beat up and they've got their backup and Washington is now turned to their backup. So certainly, I think the Eagles are in the the driver's seat here at the present moment. Um, but hey, if they lose next next week to the to the Cowboys and the Cowboys beat Washington, then the Cowboys, you know move back into that that position. So this division is, Still going to be wide open, and we know it's not going to take very many wins to win this division. So, um, it's probably going to be wide open for
0: yeah, it's a, a, it's while a race now. to eight wins. Uh, well, well, let's or maybe it's a race to seven. We are in week seven. Let's let's move on, let's get going with the week
1: seven slate. All right, brother house. Week six is on the books. We saw some favorites struggle, but give us the rundown of how things went last week, and then what are we at season
0: to date? Yeah, Mr. Sharp, it is interesting. It does feel like we're kind of getting serious with the season now, right? We've got the first four games in our rearview mirror. Some some storylines are starting to play out. The week six betting results favorites, as you just kind of anticipated, five and nine against the spread. Home teams again, seven and seven against the spread. Absolutely nothing to be gained by a home team. Advantage underdogs. Big week for the dogs. Straight up, six and eight straight up, and then the over under the totals by the count that I have, it was four overs and ten unders. So, as discussed on this very program, you predicted, we anticipated that the overs were going to take a hit, and indeed that did come to pass. So, season to date, couple interesting. Things I want to call your attention. Favorites now 40, 50, and two against the spread. And that means that underdogs against the spread are 50, 40. You know, if you just flip it, right? So underdogs now against the spread, 10 games to the the good. Home teams, 42, 49, and one against the spread. No home field advantage. Underdogs, straight up, 32, 60, and one. And then the over-under... Totals coming in at 47, 39, and 5. So that's, you know, that return to normalcy uh, as you kind of anticipated. So the overs now have dropped all the way down to the, you know, low 50% range. Is there anything we can talk about in terms of it, is it safe to play totals at the minute or we just look for situational value? How are we supposed to think about totals? No, uh, we're supposed to. So entering the season,
1: we discussed the fact that we thought that there could be some more overs because of uh, things that we were handicapping, some other factors that I don't think the lines makers were fully taking into consideration. And we capitalized on that. I mean, there was that one week, what was it, house week three or week four, where Monday morning we were talking about, I, I jumped on five overs on Monday morning and went four and one on those. Um, but since that point in time, like everybody started talking about overs and that value has dwindled. And the odds maker has been boosting up, artificially inflating the, val- the, the numbers a little bit. And so there's not as much value there. So you definitely can't, and you haven't been able to for several weeks, bet the overs blindly, nor should you ever have really done that. Even when I was betting five of them, I was still looking at my model and where the situational edges were based upon my line versus the Vegas line. And that's how you should continue to bet things. The good news is, like, I didn't have to sit here and say, oh, I wonder if the odds maker is going to catch up to these totals this week. I've got a computer model that said they caught up this week. I'm only finding value in these two games and unders in those two games. And so I'm picking my spots based on where my model is suggesting that I should. And that is absolutely something that should be constant regardless of what week it is. We should always be focusing only where the value is. So there's absolutely, it is still safe to play totals, but you again, have to pick and choose your spots based upon where you find value.
0: All right, Warren. So on this Totals situation, we've been touching on it all season long. The overs are now all the way down into the low 50% range. My question to you is Is it still safe to play totals? I mean, how can we find situational value? The unders, you know, uh, uh, kicked ass last week. How are we, what's the methodology for us to try and find a little bit of value on totals?
1: Yeah. And I'll say it's the same as what we've always done. And that is you're looking for mathematical edges against the lines that the odd makers are posting. So we did that early in the season. And some weeks we were betting five, Overs on a Monday morning because they had the total set too low based on my model. And then other weeks we were not betting any uh totals early because there was not as much value because the odds makers already adjusted. So it's always a game of cat and mouse trying to find the spots where they're wrong on their numbers that we see enough value. And some weeks it might be to the overs and some weeks it might be to the unders. But absolutely, as you've kind of indicated, and the data is showing. Just betting overs, like we talked about, is not profitable at all any longer.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one other interesting takeaway, now that we enter week seven out of these season-to-date numbers, it looks like underdogs are starting to separate themselves just a little bit from the favorites. And it looks like they're clocking right around that 55% mark. They're 50 and 40 underdogs against the spread we're talking about. And at this number, we're getting up to that 55%, that holy grail line, because that's where we start to get profitable here. And it happens to be a very nice opportunity to go ahead and dive into some sharp points. All of our podcast pals out there, the email, nfl at gmail.com. That's S-H-A-R-P-P-O-I-N-T-S-N-F-L, just so we get it right. And when you send us a question, let's make sure that you tell us where you're from. We want to personalize this. We have a great question from podcast listener Matt with one T. Matt with one T, we don't know where you're from. He says he has a really hard time taking mon- minus odds when gambling, which means he's he's not a fan of favorites. He says if we just compare, you know, looking at a minus 120 against a plus 120, he only has to be right a couple times at plus 120 taking uh, underdogs where you have to get right three times uh, on, on a favorite at minus 120 to, to replicate the winnings there. He says that doesn't mean he's just goes and bets all uh, underdogs, but he's really looking to bet uh, plus odds where he sees the, the, the value, but he's more likely to uh, take a, a, a favorite and put that into a parlay to, to juice the odds up. And he wants to know about this strategy. He wants to bounce that off of you, Brother Sharp.
1: Well, I'll just say this. Anytime that you're betting an underdog, you never want to bet an underdog unless we're talking like a 17-point line, some ridiculously inflated number. Uh, You know, maybe potentially this Bills-Jets game or maybe potentially next week's game where the Chiefs are going to be laying a a ton of points. Um, the, The places that you want to be betting an underdog are going to be the times that you actually think this guy's got a shot to win the game outright. And you should always put a tiny amount of your bankroll. Anytime you're betting a dog against the spread, put a tiny amount of your bankroll on that dog to the money line. So never leave a naked dog out there. Never take a dog of three and a half, five and a half, seven points, and just bet them against the spread and not put a tiny amount on the money line. That way you're going to put yourself in a much better situation long-term because very often some of these dogs are going to be winning the games outright and that's how you're covering you're covering your spread because they won outright you want to be able to take a little bit of that profit. I never really look at, you know, the well this is minus 120 so I'm only going to take a couple of these and I'll take three dogs because it's plus. Like I'm looking for value in any number. So we're attacking the board any which way that we see it and Most often, if you are looking at at taking a money line, it's going to be in a situation where you're doing, for a favorite, it's a money line parlay, or you think that, the number is off a little bit and that you're actually getting slightly better value by taking them on the money line rather than laying the point and a half, especially if there's a little bit too much juice on the point and a half and you'd rather just take the money line. Um, it's, it's all about value. This whole thing is simply about, is about value. I, so I wouldn't say his thought process is flawed. You're definitely getting better return by betting underdogs. The key is picking the right spots to do so, but my advice in terms of a takeaway, anytime you have a dog on the spread, Put a little bit on the money line too.
0: Well, that's going to produce great ROI. I didn't get a chance to um, sit down and do the math on how much uh, you know return on investment underdogs straight up have produced. But if you're playing that way, so far this season you're hitting you're, you're you're at fifty five percent on underdogs over the favorite, and underdogs are hitting it at better than one third of the time straight up. So, at the kind of number that you're getting that dog at on the money line, and you compound that with taking you know the the spread number also, that that's producing some juicy returns. I'm sure that's a a, a very nice return on investment if we put that out over you know the the, the kind of season to date uh, total, right? Yes, definitely. And one last thing I'll
1: say on dogs in general this season is if you look at road dogs versus home dogs, we know the bookmakers had a tr- had trouble figuring out what home field advantage should be this season. Um, and therefore, they were probably giving a little bit too much credit to the home teams. There's a little bit more extra value in the lines for the road teams. And that absolutely was the case. If we look at dogs in general and split them home versus road this year, home dogs are only covering the spread 43% of the time, whereas road dogs are covering the spread 54% of the time. So road dogs are making you money. Home dogs are not, although I will say road dogs have kept a similar hit rate over the course of the entirety of the season, but home dogs started off the year much worse than they've been over the last week, week and a half. Uh, Road dogs have, uh, sorry, home dogs have come back and done a little bit better there as the odds makers are reducing the amount that these home teams are being inflated on the spread ever so slightly as the weeks progress. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that.
0: Is my favorite game on the entire slate. It's Tennessee at home, and this number's fluctuating a little bit, but when I looked at this uh, and set this up this morning, Tennessee's favored by one and a half over Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is my kind of road dog. I absolutely adore what Pittsburgh has done so far this season, and I think there are a few things working against the Titans this week. In the first okay. place, third game for the Titans in 12 days, that's their punishment for all the COVID shenanigans. Small as shenanigans, I mean, I I know that they were taking it as seriously as they could, and the NFL's done its investigations, and they were apparently playing by all protocols, and maybe they were, weren't practicing behind the scenes, although they sure as hell did look pretty good the last couple of weeks. But third game uh, in 12 days, so that's a little bit of a, a, a punishment. And on top of that they uh fit this this uh ki- kind of category and I know you your own self have been out there in public stating on the record that you thought that they were the most likely for a, a regression um they had three come from behind wins to to start off the season to keep up their uh undefeated record and it wasn't a very impressive array of teams that they beat in those those come from behind Wins, um, and and on top of all of that, it was the Broncos, the Vikings, and the Jaguars, whose defensive DVOA was uh, or is tenth, fifteenth, and thirty second. And the Broncos have gotten better. Uh, the the Bills, uh, twenty seventh, and the Texans twenty fifth. So by far, the Steelers are the classiest defense that the Titans will have encountered thus far uh, this year and and the P- Pittsburgh's defense is, is formidable I mean they're allowing uh just 18.8 points a game that's second in the league 4.9 yards per play that's third in the league first in rushing success rate fourth in passing success rate these are the kinds of things we're talking about and to me the real deciding factor why I love Pittsburgh in this situation, Unfortunately, the injury to Taylor Lewin, I hate to see that he, uh, by one measure, he had not allowed a quarterback sack across 130 pass snaps, uh, this season, a great, uh, stat I saw out there. And I hate to see, um, you know, a guy go down, but that to me more than anything really puts a nice feel in, in in the, in the, in the book. As I sit down and think about this for Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, and Taylor Luan, look, he was definitely great as a, as a left tackle. And we are going to potentially see more pressure against Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill has not fared very well against pressure on the season. So let's run through a number, number of things first when Tennessee has the ball. Steelers defense has the NFL's highest blitz rate house. And Tannehill averages over two yards per attempt worse when he's blitzed. So uh, less than when he's not blitzed. The Titans, the bigger thing for me, though, is what this is a run-first team. And who is really real? Is the Steelers' run defense really real? Or is this Titans' run offense really real? We know the Titans' run offense has done very well over the years. And the Tennessee Titans, with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, when they play defenses that allow less than 100 yards rushing per game, Tennessee is five and one straight up, four and two against the spread. So six games in about a year, right? Because Tannehill took over last year, I think week seven. Um, and so in a year, they've done very well against teams that have good run defenses, but they run the ball a lot. They run the ball on 63% of their first down plays. That's the second highest rate in the NFL. The Steelers are the number two defense in the NFL against first down runs, allowing just 2.8 yards per carry. So this is strength on strength. This is, you know, a very difficult matchup for the Titans, and I'm curious to see whether Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator of Tennessee, opts to use a slightly different strategy or he just dances with who brung him and continues to go with this high run rate even if it's not productive. The data and the numbers show that when you pass the ball on early downs, you are more likely to get a defense that's playing the run. And therefore, it's more optimal for your quarterback. And especially if you don't have your left tackle and you're dealing with a defense that loves to blitz, do you think the Steelers are going to send pass blitzes on first down when they know the Titans run the ball 63% of the time? Possibly not. So this would be great time to pass the ball against these loaded boxes. If I'm Arthur Smith, I'm trying to pass the ball a little bit more often in those situations. But I mean, they've done the run heavy thing so much that I don't know if he'll make those adjustments.
0: Well, and and we talked about Luan, uh, that injury. We can't really quantify that. They're also dinged. Corey Davis is dinged. Uh, John Smith is dinged. And who has been getting a ton of, of targets. From Tannehill. So, like some of his safety blanket stuff um, it, it isn't there and available to him. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a really juicy matchup. I mean, I, I've been a, a, extremely impressed by how Tennessee resurfaced post uh, uh, the, the COVID shutdown of that franchise. But I think this is the moment where it catches up with them, and I really, uh, uh, you know, this is a, a, a classy defense that they are up against the first time this season, and it's it, there's a lot of intrigue. I'm all over Pittsburgh, both as uh, on the line and as we just discussed a little money line play plus one ten is what I saw out there earlier today. That is going on my dance card. So let
1: me throw in a couple of other things for you. Number one. This will help your uh, play, and that is that A.J. Brown, the number one receiver for the Titans, he missed practice on Thursday. Mm. So, so Jonu Smith, their tight end, practiced in full on Thursday. He was limited Wednesday. He obviously missed most of the second half of that game last week. He was limited on Wednesday, came back in full, but then... A.J. Brown goes out. So it remains to be seen what's going on with A.J. Brown and why he didn't practice and what his status is for the game. But now let's talk about when the Steelers have the ball because I think you're going to really like some of this stuff here to reinforce your bet. And then I'll tell you kind of where the sharp position is on this game. The Tennessee Titans use some of the NFL's highest rates of man coverage on early downs. They use man coverage on 46% of early down passes. The NFL average is only 32%. This year, the Steelers offense has dominated man coverage. Now, it ha- the numbers haven't been quite as severe, as as wide a gap, I'm going to share, share with you right now, in years past. But let's keep in mind that Randy Fickner, the Steelers offense coordinator, he was there last year, but Ben was not. Ben was there for six quarters of the entire season. So he was lost for most of the time. So we don't know what this, it doesn't matter what the Steelers were, man versus zone last year. And Fickner wasn't there prior to that. And in addition, they added Matt Canada. Matt Canada, there's a lot with pre snap motion and helping design some of these pass plays and concepts that they're using. Um, and these things seem to do really well against man coverage. What the Steelers offense, especially their passing offense on early downs is doing, look at these splits. Against man coverage, 11.1 yards per attempt. Against zone coverage, only 4.9 yards per attempt. They've got a 10% better success rate against man than zone. And their EPA against man is plus 0.54. It's minus 0.14 against zone. So their passing offense is substantially better when the defense plays more man. And now they're going up against a team that has one of the highest rates of man on early downs. In addition, this is the first game of the season that they're going to be playing with a full complement of their three wide receiver sets. They never used Chase Claypool the first couple of weeks. They only started going heavy with Chase Claypool when Deontay Johnson was injured, who was their former number two wide receiver. Deontay Johnson has missed the last two weeks. We thought he might be back against Cleveland. They held him out that game with a back injury, but he is healthy. He's been practicing in full. So now they've got all three of these wide receivers, Juju and Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, And wide receivers have scored a lot of points against this Tennessee Titans defense. A Tennessee Titans defense uh, really is not good. They're the second worst defense that the Steelers have played uh, so far this year. The last point I'll make on this before we talk about kind of how the line has moved is the fact that the Steelers are throwing a lot of passes, and if you've been watching the game, you've probably noticed this, a lot of short passes. 60% of all of their passes are between zero and 10 air yards. So they're right within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. They're not throwing as much behind the line of scrimmage, and they're not throwing very much deep down the field. Even, Even like 11, 12 yards is not that deep down the field with a quarterback like Ben, but they're not really throwing those passes much. It's Ben reading the defense quickly and getting the ball out of his hands. 60% of their passes in this zero to 10 air yard range, that's sixth highest rate in the NFL. The NFL average is to allow, for defenses, to allow those passes to record a 58% success rate. But against the Titans, they're recording a 72% success rate. They're recording plus 0.39 EPA, which is much worse than the NFL average. And they're recording 7.3 yards per attempt, which is much worse than the NFL average. In fact, in those metrics, the Titans have the worst defense in the NFL against passes thrown where the Steelers throw the most often, which is 0-10 to 10 air yards. So Pittsburgh attacks where they're weak, and this is something the Steelers won't have to adjust. This is already something that they do. So I think there is going to be some advantages for the Steelers' side here in terms of how they're going to be able to move the ball offensively. And Tennessee doesn't really get a whole lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks, so that's going to help Ben Rothsberger. But here's a couple things for you, House. This line, the look-ahead was like Tennessee minus one. It took a bunch of Steelers money early, but the stronger money now has come back on the Tennessee Titans, and Tennessee's now favored, as you noted earlier, by one and a half points. The total also took a hit towards the under, dropping it from, I think it was as high as 52 and a half at open, all the way down to 50 and a half. So under and the Titans has been the flavor of the week from some of the more vested, sharper groups here on this game. And it's going to be interesting because certainly some of the things that I'm uncovering speaks to the fact that the Steelers could have some advantages here. Uh, But it will be interesting to really see what Arthur Smith decides to do. And this is why House, I always say that it's very hard to separate a quarterback from his play caller. And why I love helping out some of these coordinators because you just picture it. If Arthur Smith decides to run the ball a ton and they're not having much success, This game is completely different than if Arthur Smith does not run the ball as much on first down and decides to pass the ball more down the field. And if A.J. Brown is up. So, like, the outcome of this game could be massively different just based upon whether or not he decides to break some tendencies against a really good run defense.
0: Well, I hate to use a very dumb example to prove your point, but we just saw exactly the dynamic you described on Monday Night Football with the dumbass Dallas Cowboys and their dumbass game plan with Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott and and they basically Uh, where they self-cooled Andy Dalton. They self-cooled the red rifle. They never gave him a chance to get into any kind of rhythm whatsoever. You and Verno covered it on the Wednesday show, and Zeke, for whatever reason, was putting the ball on the carpet. That game was over in the first eight minutes, and I, as a Washington professional, almost professional, might-be-professional football fan, absolutely adore watching the Dallas Cowboys stink it up. Most of the time, although I thought last week, and we talked about this on this very podcast, I thought Dallas had an advantage over Arizona uh, at at home, and they completely uh, uh, blew that by uh, first down run insistence at a rate that was way outside the bounds of what they'd done uh, in the season to date. Now, I'm interested in getting to the bottom of one thing with you, because uh we we were talking about a really fascinating matchup here. We we have a ton of respect for both coaches Pittsburgh and uh Tennessee and you yep. put on blast Mike Grable this week. And it was one of uh, I don't know how often you get 75,000 likes on tweets that that you you generate. Maybe that's your kind of territory, I don't know. But I was impressed. You impressed me with this one. You took a particular strategic uh, uh, opportunity that Vrabel, um, created to help his team with an opportunity to win. he, it seems by the way the video kind of played out an intentional 12th man penalty to stop the clock, preserve his timeouts. And, you know, he, he basically weighed the value of the yardage he was forfeiting against getting that time. And you 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 did a masterful job of, of lining up um, the video and so forth for 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 two questions. So for in the first place, the sharps coming back on Tennessee in the under, is that out of respect for for Vrabel? Do you think that's part of what's what's driving it? And then secondly, did they did did anybody from Tennessee call you up and curse you out for for putting that on blast?
1: Um, no, I didn't hear from those guys. Um, although I know some of them and, uh, and, but they didn't get, they didn't get back to me on, uh, on being <laughs> upset with it. Um, certainly it, what was funny is after the fact he dodged the questions completely, like great from the school Bill Belichick. Him. Yeah. Great job of, of trying to distract the, uh, <laughs> the interviewer, but, um, no, I, I thought that they, The reason probably the sharp guys are looking at this is if you look at the track record of the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they go on the road, a lot of their games have gone under the total. Now, sometimes they're playing some bad offenses. Sometimes the competition has not been overly good, but this is a team that really does tend to play towards the under. And and we know even if they're at home, they oftentimes play down to the level of competition. We didn't see that last week against Baker Mayfield in a game that, you know, the Steelers just absolutely love crushing the younger redheaded stepchildren in their division. <laughs> so they, you know, anytime they get a chance to crush the, the the orange stepchild of the Browns or the orange stepchild of the Bengals, they, they do that. But other teams in other divisions, they have not fared quite as well against. Um, so I think it's a little bit of that. I think, you know, I'm not quite sure uh, from a modeling perspective, a value perspective that, but we know that. Some of these guys were betting the under in the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game last week, and now they're betting the under in this Pittsburgh game this week. That is very typical. When you see certain betting groups betting on a certain side, they do that somewhat several weeks in a row. They bet on a certain total for a team. They might bet the same way several weeks in a row until the lines catch up with them.
0: My wagering wizards. Quick word from our friends at FanDuel. I've got to tell you about my new favorite bet concept. This NFL season, I have been playing same game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook. And it's the most fun you can have betting on football. They are very simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. The payouts are even bigger when you win this way. What's cool too is FanDuel will refund the first same game parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. So you can essentially have a free $10 play every week. You get a different parlay risk-free every NFL week all season long. I heard Verno on Wednesday. He wanted to build up a small play on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love that action this week. He went with Roethlisberger over on passing yards and Chase Claypool over on receiving yards. Let's take that thing and get it dirty. I mean, let's go ahead and put on the spread. Let's put Pittsburgh getting the one and a half, and let's go ahead and play the Pittsburgh money line at plus 110 as well. That's a four legged parlay. That's a big chair that even a fat butt like mine will fit in. That four legged stool. How about that parlay? If you like it, go ahead and bet it with your first NFL or if baseball is your thing, World Series single game parlay of the week. You will get $10 back. If we don't win, now there is one catch. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app that has these same game parlays. So if you don't already have a FanDuel account, just use promo code SHARP when you sign up so they know that Warren sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code SHARP. Quick disclaimer for you have to be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa, the refund is issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. That's not a problem because you're going to bet again inside the week. The max refund is 10 bucks. Terms apply. If you have a gambling issue, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, you can visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call one 800 9 with it in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. And in Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. For some reason, the next two games that I like on the card uh, are our road favorites. Um, I like very much the situation of Seattle at Arizona and for some reason, that is a line that has been decreasing as the, the week has gone on. It's all the way down when I saw it uh this afternoon, Seattle's down to just three as a favorite at Arizona. Um, and that particular game, situationally, I like a lot. And then Green Bay at Houston, Green Bay is favored by three and a half, another uh uh road favorite. Let's start with with Seattle. I just very much like uh, the position that Seattle is in coming off of a bye week with Arizona on a short week after that Monday night. And it's a divisional game. Seattle's familiar with them. Seattle kicks their ass um, every year. And I uh, think there's a particular opportunity here. The Cardinals um, defense isn't very good. They're, They're second in the league in points. Oh, wait a minute. The Cardinals defense ranks very well because they've played bad teams. They have games against Washington, the Jets, and Dallas. Those three teams combined for 35 points, and so the Cardinals rank second in the league in points against. When the Cardinals go up against semi-competent offenses, and that's all I'm willing to give these teams, Detroit, San Francisco, and Carolina, they allow over 25 points a game. The Seahawks offense is the best offense they're going to see this season, and I also like the idea of Seattle and Pete Carroll going into uh, the the defensive lab a little bit and saying, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, what why is it that we have been so poor so far the 29th in uh, opponent's yards per play and they're dead last in in yardage uh, per game, over 470 yards per game. I like um you know the 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 Seahawks coming in with the opportunity to get themselves right on defense and with that extra rest am I all wet here um it's a, it's a tough game i can say
1: that we've seen a little bit of money definitely show up for the arizona cardinals and um the main advantage that I think the Arizona Cardinals had, and you hit, you hit a bunch of these things in terms of Arizona's defense. Yeah, they look pretty good, but they've played a really terrible schedule of opposing offenses. They played the third easiest schedule of opposing offenses. Now they're going to be facing arguably the best offense in the NFL in terms of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so that is going to be an interesting matchup, step up in class for them. The one thing that Arizona's offense is really good at is they're really good at playing against zone. Kyler Murray has struggled in his career against man coverage, but he's done really good against zone coverage and against zone. He's averaging 8.2 yards per attempt against man 6.1 yards per attempt in his career. There's only one other team that plays zone coverage more than the Seattle Seahawks have done uh, so far on early downs this season. Uh, they are average, I think, 81% of early down passes against the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle has been playing zone coverage. So this is something that's going to work in Kyler Murray's favor offensively for him to have uh, some success here. The other interesting thing about the Seattle Seahawks, we recognize them as like this big time juggernaut this year because they are 5-0. and And so while that's been strong and that's been great, the problem is... That this is a team that really has failed to take advantage of le- early leads at halftime. Like This team, I think, is leading only by an average of one point at halftime all over the course of the season. Three out of their five games have they led at halftime, but it's only been by an average overall of one point. I mean, I think that ranks like 16th in the NFL. So they've got to figure a way, obviously not scoring at all in the first half of against the Vikings has hurt them. They've got to figure out a way to try to get back on track offensively, get started much quicker, force Arizona out from this, what what they like to do, which is run the football a fair amount, stay pretty balanced, um, and, and help their own defense by getting up on the scoreboard and making Arizona more predictable.
0: The other game I was uh, looking at was uh, Green Bay favored by three and a half at Houston. Now we spoke last week about Green Bay in a tough position going up against Tampa. And by golly, Tampa's defense was up to the challenge. they the Green Bay offense struggled against that Buck's defense, that Buck defense now fourth in in pressure rate. and and Aaron Rodgers looked uncomfortable. All day long, but here, here, uh, breath of fresh air potentially for green Bay, the Texans, the Houston Texans, not very good at pressuring the quarterback. They pressured the quarterback at the league's fifth lowest rate. And not only do the Texans not get pressure, they don't really stop anybody. They're, they're 27th in, in yards per play. And they've only, uh, forced four turnovers the entire season. So I like the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers put a positive spin on the ass whooping that they took. He said, maybe we needed that kick in the butt. Uh, they, 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 the, the Texans are in in this, this tough spot, right? They got rid of bill O'Brien. They got their, uh, dead coach bounce win with Romeo Cornell the first week after bill O'Brien. But then, I mean, I, I, Romeo Cornell strikes me as a, as a very lovely man. And, and, you know, uh, a a competent and capable defensive coordinator. I do not intend to suggest anything other than admiration for his personal character, but Holy shit. Does any, is there anybody out there that snatches defeat from the jaws of victory? Like Romeo Cornell, the body of work. Uh, and last week as a, as a stark reminder with the opportunity, to I mean the 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 Texans had 17 different ways to win that game and more importantly cover the game if you had a little action on the uh, on the Texans getting five and a half points as I did. Uh but uh it did not turn out that way. Tennessee covered with a touchdown in overtime on their first drive. Um and I, I just like this situation for Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, uh, has a great success rate against the spread coming off and against the spread loss in his career. And the same thing is true when he's coming off a straight up loss. Both of those numbers are above 60% um, hit rate. He comes out when green, when he, when he's the quarterback and green Bay loses the next week, they tend to cover two thirds of the time and they tend to win two thirds of the time. I like green Bay laying the points, uh, on the road to Houston.
1: Look, House, I don't necessarily disagree on this one. I don't have a strong opinion in terms of seeing if there's enough line value here to want to lay over three points. But I will say that this is absolutely the perfect spot where you would expect Aaron Rodgers and company to get their mind right, I really don't know what the deal is with this team coming off of a bye with Matt Lafleur. This team got absolutely stomped when they went to San Francisco last year and lost 37 to eight. This year they lose 38 to 10. Very similar final scores. Very similar fourth, fourth quarters in which Aaron Rodgers is sitting on the bench doing absolutely nothing except contemplating the decisions that he made and the mistakes that he made in the first half of that game. Um, but I, Houston. Texans defense is kind of the thing that helps all quarterbacks get right. This is a this is in general a get right defense with the lone exception of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Gardner Minshew, but every quarterback has looked good against these guys. They certainly rank one of the worst in the league and the good thing is that the Green Bay Packers are going to be able to do whatever they want to do. There's no case of pick your poison. It's like pick your milkshake here because they can run the ball against the fifth worst run defense. They can pass the ball against a team that really struggles to get pressure and really struggles to uh, defend the pass well. And it's really going to be a matter of whether Robert Tanyan, which is, that's the right way to pronounce it. He came out and said it It rhymes with Funyan. So Tanyan, uh, mm. whether Robert Tanyan can... Um, Get healthy and be that tight end that they need because they will want to attack a little bit with the tight end position as well. But I can't, I can't disagree with your strategy. I think that there's going to be points scored here. Um, Houston, their offense got back on track obviously last week against the Tennessee Titans following you know the the firing of their former head coach Bill O'Brien. And this is a team that's been able to put up points last few weeks. They just haven't been able to win games except when they're playing the Jaguars.
0: Right. Well, speaking of a team um, that's been unable to win games, uh, I have two plays left on on my ticket to bounce off of you, only one of which I'm really interested in your opinion on because, you know, my square play of the week every week is bet against the Jets as long as (laughs) Adam Gase is their head coach. And I checked this morning. He was not fired. He's still (laughs) the head coach. So that means uh, that the, the the Jets against the Bills, I, the number I saw was 13 and a half. That's less than two touchdowns. The Bills are on a short week. The Bills are traveling. The Bills are facing an inflated spread. And I don't care. Buffalo won the first meeting, the first game of the season, 27-17. That game really wasn't that close. And I expect the Buffalo Bills to get themselves right against the New York Jets this week. Uh, And I appreciate very much what Woody Johnson is doing for my pocketbook by keeping Adam Gase in place.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the Jets were down 21-3 to at halftime in that game. And the Bills, you know, they they, they couldn't get it any further than that. They made a lot of mistakes, a lot of self-inflicted wounds in that game. If you go back and dig through the box score or rewatch that game, a lot of self-inflicted wounds. There are some areas that the Bills should be able to attack the Jets, especially if they get forced into third down. The New York Jets really struggle to defend passes that are thrown beyond the line of scrimmage the way that Greg Williams plays his defense. Defense. They like to rally to the football. They play to the sticks and they come up the field. But it's very easy if you got third and seven, third and eight to throw the ball nine or 10 yards down the field. And they're terrible. They're absolutely ridiculously bad when you throw the ball just beyond the sticks on third down. Um, and so I think from that perspective, the Bills are going to have some edges. The main thing the Bills have to avoid doing house and it should be fairly easy. But for whatever reason, Buffalo cannot run block this year. They're so terrible running the football, but they're significantly better passing the football. And what they need to do is avoid first down runs as much as possible because the Jets run defense really good against first down runs, but they're terrible against passes. And as long as Josh Allen can get back, drop back, get the ball out quick, avoid some of the pressure, just get it to his playmakers in space, and they're going to have success against this uh, Jets defense.
0: Yeah, I feel like um we can move on. I will say I wouldn't be surprised to see Josh Allen himself using his legs a little bit. Um, again, in a way that doesn't put him in, in outsized. Jeopardy, you gotta be but careful. Be a you way. gotta be you gotta be yeah.
1: I agree with you, but you gotta be careful because Greg Williams like is in the guys' heads on defense. Uh, and these point. guys are absolutely idiotic and they're definitely gonna be headhunting Josh Allen. And I really hope the officials for this game are are tuned into this because Josh Allen is like the Cam Newton from three, four, five years ago where this dude takes tons of beatings just because he's a big guy. If Drew Brees got touched a third of the time like like uh, Josh Allen is, guys would be getting tossed out of the NFL. I'm, I'm not even, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's not by much. Josh Allen takes ridiculous amount of beating and these officials need to be treating him just like any other quarterback when he is in the pocket. I understand when he's a runner, then he's different, but in the pocket, he takes brutal hits and I expect hopefully the refs will be on
0: top of that, start throwing some flags early if these Jets come in headhunting. Well, that's a great point. And you were so exercised after that Thursday night game, the Jets against the Denver Broncos, when the Jets, the game was over and they were still going in there and trying to put hits on the quarterback. Come on, NFL. Come Step on. Step in and, and put a stop to it. The Greg Williams nonsense needs to stop. I have one last thing to bounce off of you, uh, and this is teaser candidate time for me. I'm looking at two games I like now uh, because I've taken on your instruction. I'm looking for games where the line is under three points. I'm looking for underdogs under three points that I can tease up to eight points by way of a a classic six-point tease because that gets us through the key number of three and the key number of seven. And I found uh, a happy marriage here that I I quite like, which means it's probably a dead loser, but I want to bounce it off of you. San Francisco getting two points at New England. I'm going to tease them up to eight points. And Detroit getting two points at Atlanta. I want to tease them up to eight points. I look at at these two games, I don't think there's an enormous difference between San Fran and New England, and I feel the exact same way about the Detroit-Atlanta game. I think they're pretty even, uh, and so I really like the idea of getting up north of a touchdown in both of those games. What do you think? Where am I going to go wrong with with this teaser? Well, the only thing that you have is you got a 49ers team. You, you got the...
1: We're, we're buying a team at its high point, which we were talking about selling the, the, the perils of selling a team at its low point, which is what the 49ers were heading into Sunday night football. And of course, we were dead on the money there. The 49ers won and, and won fairly convincingly. But now you're buying you're you're buying them when they just had a nice game, and you're selling the Patriots when they just had their worst performance of the year. I think their offensive line is going to get a little bit healthy, but I will say asking this team to win by enough of a margin here is going to be challenging. This defense isn't quite as good as long as Jimmy G can get the ball out of his hands, be a facilitator. The 49ers secondary has gotten a little bit stronger. Um, I think that it's well within the range of outcomes for them to cover a teaser like here uh, for you. With regard to the Detroit Atlanta game, I don't disagree on this one, but there was one thing that really was frustrating and perplexing to me, House, when I saw the Detroit Lions come back from their bye last week. And that was the simple fact that one of the things I had talked about previously was how the Lions get so conservative in the third quarter of games. They have a great quarterback. They've got good wide receivers. They want to come out in games passing the football. And that's what they were doing in the first half on first downs. They were passing the ball 53% of the time. But then, and, and having great success in high yards per attempt. But then they would turn in the third quarter and get all conservative and run the ball a lot more. And these runs were very inefficient, low success rate, thirty-eight percent, low yards per carry, three point two. Yet they're running more than they're throwing out of the locker room. I was like, what the heck are these guys doing? I said, hopefully they study up on some of this stuff before the bye week or during the bye week and come back with a little bit better strategy. You know what they did? In the first half of last week's game. And again, that game got out of control. They were up by 14 entering the fourth quarter against Jacksonville last week. So of course they'll run a little bit more in the second half. But in the first half of that game, they go 79% run on first downs. These runs are only 36% success rate. So I don't know why in the world they came out of the bye deciding we want to run on the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars have the number 32 pass defense, the number 32 pressure rate defense. They can't get pressure on a quarterback. They're terrible uh, at, at stopping your passing attack. And yet the Lions, who have Matthew Stafford, a healthy line and healthy receivers, decide to go very run heavy. I didn't quite understand that the part of the Lions in this game that I just don't like is the coaching staff, but everything else I like. I like selling the Atlanta Falcons at a high point after they just fired their coach and got a win and a big time, you know, feel good moment. Now they come back home and reality starts to set in that, guess what? We really don't have a lot of talent on this team. I mean, we've got some players, but are we really that good? And if you look at who Detroit's played and how their records and how they fared in those games, They've played some pretty stiff competition and they've done pretty well overall, all things being considered. So um, I definitely can't argue that much, but I really just wish the coaching staff offensively would figure out how to optimize things. And this week, you are playing an Atlanta Falcons defense that is one of the worst against the pass and number eight against the run. You absolutely cannot enter this game thinking that we're going to run the football all over the Atlanta Falcons. That's not the way to beat the Falcons. You have to pass the ball on these guys. Hopefully, the Lions do that with Matthew Stafford. Galladay's now healthy. Let these receivers make some magic against this Falcons secondary like most teams in the NFL are able to do.
0: Yeah, let Matthew Stafford cook. I will say this. Damn it. Uh, You reminded me of the Matt Patricia factor. He is (laughs) on my list of guys to not trust, and I could absolutely positively see myself looking at the fourth quarter of this game and getting very upset. So what I'll do, I'm going to play this teaser because the numbers line up the way that I like, and I don't think there's an enormous difference between Detroit and Atlanta, so Detroit getting eight. Still feels like the the, the correct side. I lo- I'm trusting the process here, Sharpie, but I'm prepared to be disappointed and I'm prepared to have another round of curse words for the pencil-eared Matt Patricia. Well,
1: and, and I will say it hasn't worked out this way for the last couple of weeks, but Detroit has historically been a better team in the first half of games and a little bit worse in the second half. And with Atlanta, if if Detroit's able to get a lead here and take a lead into the locker room, pretty much like whenever you can get Detroit up by like seven or 10 points, like they were up against the Saints prior to their bye. They were up 14 to nothing, I think, at the end of the first quarter against the Saints. And then the Saints reeled off, I want to say, 28 unanswered points and go into halftime 28 to 14. Whenever you can, whenever the Lions get a lead, you may want to like place a little bit of something on the other team. And uh, and that's what you could do here potentially at
0: halftime. Oh, yeah, a little live betting. That's right, the go. halftime live bet to cover off a little tiny hedge there. I I enjoy this, Sharpie. We're into week seven. It's getting real. The NFL's uh, rolling along. We've got uh, you know some some contenders, and we know exactly who the the pretenders are. I'm excited that we're letting the dogs out a little bit, Sharpie. Yeah, I am too. I'm really excited about this
1: this weekend's games, especially the couple of games where we've got Two teams with great records. The Titans-Steelers should be a great chess match. We broke that down in detail. Good luck to you on that one. And uh, and it'll be interesting to see how some of these other teams are able to fare. I love the fact, House, that they moved Seattle, Arizona to Sunday night football. Um, so we actually get a good game there because Tampa Bay versus the Raiders may get canceled with their COVID issues. They got mm. that out of it. So that was smart by the NFL scheduling group. And if you look, we actually have a very balanced slate of 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. games. I want to say there's only seven 1 p.m. kickoffs on Sunday. So significantly better than having nine and two, which we had last week. So it's going to it's going to be a great viewing day of watching these games, some good late games, some good early games, and then a nightcap that we know is not going to get canceled with the Seahawks Cardinals. Cannot wait for Sunday's action house.
0: Yeah, I know how happy a balanced uh, schedule makes you, a balanced viewing schedule makes you. And I just want you to be happy, Sharpie. That's all. That's all I'm after. That's why you're a friend. That's why you're a friend. (laughs) We're not going to do any better than that. My wageling wizards, my gambling gurus, good luck to everybody out there. Let's all have some strong R O I.